Welcome to the Truth Be Known podcast, bringing you the objective truth boldly, candidly, and without apology. Welcome to this week's episode. Well, guys, welcome back to another episode of the Truth Be Known podcast. I'm Nathaniel Jolly. And I am Eki Tepsipornshai. So we started talking about the attributes of God. I think we started that thing with the sovereignty of God. And then we kind of talked a little bit about uh, human responsibility and, and how that fits in. And then, of course, the James Coates issue came up, which we still need to be praying for uh, him and his yes. family and his church. I read yesterday, I think, where there is a, a known uh sexual child offender who has gotten out of the same prison that he's now in. And I just thought, my goodness, we now live in a society where you're letting grown men who target uh, children for, you know, all kinds of sexual perverted wickedness and we're imprisoning people just because they're trying to preach and shepherd their church. Uh, What a crazy world we live in. Yeah, and that's, if anyone needs any more proof that this COVID pandemic, so to speak, has been over-politicized, that should be the proof. Even if you think COVID is a real threat and it's worth protecting yourself over, and even if you think that some of these shutdowns are necessary, which I would disagree, but even if you feel that way, there's no way you can argue that a pastor who opened up his church is worthy of not just imprisonment, but maximum security, solitary confinement imprisonment, where he's only allowed out, I think it was one hour a day to wash himself. Yeah, that's and what I heard. That's, that's, like, that, that's the kind of treatment that you give to someone who is a complete menace to society. And then you point out, on the other hand, you have this child predator who's released. And so no one in their right mind can look at this, no matter how you feel about COVID, no one in their right mind can look at that and say that makes sense. But that's the world we live in. Yeah. And, you know, this this will kind of be a good segue into our topic today, um, because men like James Coates, uh, pastors who are either open or they're coming to the conclusion that they should or should have been open and they're, and they're making those right steps. Um, part of that is recognizing who God is, not only just his sovereignty but in God, in, in understanding God's holiness, there is a right reverent fear that compels us out of love for Christ to want to be obedient to God. And, and one way that we're obedient to God is we meet, we gather, right? We, we do yeah. church the way God ordained for us to do that. And so it, it's interesting. I, I think if I'm not mistaken, holiness is one of um, the descriptors that we see more than anything else in, in, in Scripture describing God. I think of Revelation, uh, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Uh, we think of Psalm, uh, all throughout the Psalms, right? Psalm 34 says, sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, give thanks to his holy name. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it, you know, and I, I think that, Almost every professing Christian would shake their head and give mental assent to the fact that God is holy. Does that mean they understand what that what that is, what that really right. means? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, no, exactly. And even when you read through the Mosaic Law, for instance, you see the word holy come up often, not just in describing God, but what God expects mm-hmm. of the people. 
And for instance, when God defines what is deemed holy within the tabernacle or the temple and what is unholy, we see that word coming up over and over again. And in Leviticus, at least three times it's mentioned, you shall be holy for I am holy. Mm. So that is a highly significant word. I think we miss out on what exactly that means. Some of that is the confusion that takes place um, today over what it means to be sanctified, for, for instance, because that word sanctified comes from the same word used for holy. Yeah. And uh, our saints, people who are saved, are referred to as holy ones. Um, so there's a, a lot of confusion about that. And I think this is a case where so much familiarity with the word has allowed people to overlook the significance behind this word and what it means when it, when it comes from God. You know, this is a very interesting topic for me and a very dear topic for me specifically because this was the attribute that first God really used to wake me up and bring me out of the charismatic church. Some people might be thinking, well, that that's strange. What do you mean? Functionally, in the charismatic church as a whole, generally speaking, understanding the holiness of God, even attributing that trait to God is almost totally absent. What you do not hear within the broader charismatic church is how holy God is, how he expects us to be holy. So just wipe that out of Peter as well, because he you know, uh, refers to the Old Testament passage you mentioned. Um, you just don't have a sense of God's holiness, which is why you see famous pastors flopping around like a fish out of water uh, on a stage because there's no reverence for who God is and there's no understanding of God's holiness. So I came across a um, I, I was I was doing some teaching and I was deciding to go through large portions of a Bible, which I which of the Bible, which I never did in the charismatic church, nor does nor do most charismatic preachers do that. And I think I was in Romans. I can't really remember now. Um, but I remember preparing for my sermon and sitting at my desk and having this moment where I thought, I think I'm a heretic. <laughs> um, wow. Not a great feeling. And, and, I, and I was reading these passages and I just thought, you know, these things that I've been teaching and believing, it, it's not what I'm seeing right here. Um, and, and that's why, you know, uh, expositional preaching is so important. You, you just can't skip stuff in scripture. Um, if you're, if you're doing topical stuff, it's very easy to miss a lot of things. And, you know, from there I got on YouTube, right? This is, I don't know, 10, 12, 8, 10 years ago, something like that. Um, and one of the first things I found on this topic was a mashup video, and, and it was all these preachers, uh, you know, someone had put two minutes of 10 different preachers together, whatever, with some nice music in the background, talking about God's holiness. Uh, I didn't know this until, you know, probably two years ago. One of the guys in that video clip was actually a very young Paul Washer. Uh, no idea who he was back then, but David Wilkerson was in there. Leonard Ravenhill was in there. Some uh, older guys, you know, we wouldn't agree with all of their doctrinal positions now, but all of their, uh, the subject of that video was God's holiness. And I sat and watched through that, I don't know, 10 minute clip or whatever. And I just thought, my goodness, God is a holy God. And I have not been worshiping God the way he deserves. Um, and, and I was saved, but that was a defining moment in, in my life. And, and it was centered around the holiness of God. So, you know, and that's, it, it's not just your testimony. That's actually partially my testimony as well. I didn't come out of the same background that you did, but I was a 
Um, I, I professed faith in Christ going back to college. And I believe that intellectually I understood the gospel message, but I didn't live it out. I didn't understand the responsibility that comes from repenting and actually following Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And there came a point in my adult life where God was causing me to question my own profession and, and what it meant to actually be a Christian. So I went back to Grace Community Church and started to attend these classes called Fundamentals of the Faith. And I'm actually teaching those classes now. And in fact, the next lesson is going to be on the attributes of God. So this is perfect timing. But I remember when I went through that class the first time, each lesson is tied to a different sermon that you also listen to from John MacArthur in addition to the workbook homework and the in-class discussion. And the message from John MacArthur, he was going through various attributes, but when he got to the holiness of God, he read that passage that you referenced out of 1 Peter um, chapter 1, I think it's verses 13 through 16, where Peter talks about, um, as obedient children, do not be conformed to your former um, lusts and uh, deceits or, or whatever it is, but but you want to obey God for God said, I am holy and you shall be holy as well, or you are to be holy for I am holy. And when John went through that, um, I, I remember he then hit it hard, the fact that we need to focus on holiness, that we as a people have neglected holiness. And I remember being convicted in a way that I'd never been convicted before when listening to a sermon. So mm -hmm. I would say that that was the first time looking back that I could recall the fruit of the spirit starting to work in my heart, the conviction starting to work in my heart. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you know, so ju just to kind of set this up, you know, I think today what we see, at least, you know, on a visible practical le level, we, we kind of live in an era where people think Jesus is buddy Jesus, right? Like, you know, upon his return, they're going to slap him on the back and say, what's up, bro? Um, and that is just not what's going to happen, uh, right? Every knee will bow. And and you, you think of, you know, the disciples who were with Jesus. You think of John, I, th I think it was John, right? Who, who uh, upon seeing Christ in his glory, fell at his feet as though he were dead. So yep. this, is, this is the apostle who was with Jesus day in, day out, you know, they ate together, they traveled together, they did human normal things together. And yet, uh, uh, upon being in the presence of Christ glorified, he fell at his feet as though he were dead. Why would we think we would respond any other way? Exactly. And that, that, was, the, that was indeed the Apostle John. That's the book of Revelation. And you think that the Apostle John, he was the disciple whom Jesus loved. He's the one that rested his head on the bosom of Jesus Christ. You would think with that level of intimacy, he would have a different response upon seeing Jesus Christ. But it says he fell like a dead man. And if you think about it, you can't fall any faster than that. I mean, that's to fall like a dead man means he hit the ground as quick as he could in order to worship. And what's instructive also is in the book of Revelations, twice he makes that mistake with angels where he starts mm -hmm. to worship angels. Yeah. And both times he's rebuked, don't worship me. I'm just a fellow servant along with you. But you don't see any such rebuke when people bow down to worship Jesus Christ. And you point out something else that I think is going to be significant and something that we can flesh out a little bit more as we talk. And that's the glory of God. Because what John saw was the glory of God. And it was the same thing on the transfiguration, the Mount of Transfiguration. Mm -hmm. Jesus goes up with Peter, James, and and John, and uh, they, they go up there, and, and Jesus then reveals the glory of God shining forth from his face. 
And in the Old Testament, there is a very close correlation between the glory of God uh, and that really being the representation or at least the visible manifestation of God's holiness. You just think about the holiest of holies inside the tabernacle and the temple, the Shekinah wow. glory of God would be in the holiest mm -hmm. of holies. And you had a veil that separated that, um, that from the holy place where the priests were allowed in, but only the high priest was allowed in the holiest of holies only once a year. And he had to come with the right sacrifices following the, the right steps or else he would be killed. And so there was a separation between God and man because of his holiness. And that's often shown to us by his glory. And that's exactly what John saw. And that is what Isaiah saw when we think about Isaiah chapter six as well. Yeah. I mean, think about Moses. Um, I, I mean, his his face shone so brightly that they had to cover it, right? That There's no indication all throughout scripture um, that we're going to respond to Christ or or God in any way or that we should in any manner different than than what has always been. I mean, this is the same reason why men fall at their face and worship angels when they appear. Um, I mean, the consistent first, you know, response that an angel gives throughout scripture is do not be afraid. Why? Right. Because they were scared to death. Um, and that's just it, it being in the presence of an angel. And, and yet in our modern society, um, we, we treat God like I said earlier, buddy Jesus, like he's just one of us, right? There's no distinction between God and us. And, and we'll get into the definition of holy, right? Because it makes a distinction. Yeah, I, I think our tendency here is to kind of process holiness in human terms. So in other words, we tend to think that holiness is just sort of, it, it's just the better qualities of man in God. So, you know, as good as we can be, you know, God is just a little better than that. Um, we would deem people like if we were to put this on a holiness scale, we might think, you know, prostitutes and drug addicts are like the least holy uh, of people. And then maybe just a little beyond them, you know, we've got people who take food to their neighbors or whatever. They're a little more holy. And then, you know, above those, we've got the, you know, Mother Teresa or well-known pastors or, you know, philanthropists. Uh, they're, they're higher on the holy scale. And then God's just a little above that, right? Um, but that's not actually what we mean when we say holy. Uh, so the Greek word for holy is kadash. I mean, sorry, the Hebrew word. And it actually means to be set apart. God's in an entirely different category than we are in. Um, we can say that we are good. And when we say that God is good, we don't mean the same thing. Um, we share in some, in, in some parts of that communicable attribute of his, but, but it's not the same. It's an entirely different category. Yeah, and, and you mentioned a word, communicable, communicable attributes, and we often take these attributes and we'll separate them into communicable and incommunicable. Incommunicable meaning they apply to God only, and communicable meaning they apply to God and they apply to us, at least in some way, shape, or form. But you're right. Romans uh, 3.23 says, all have fallen short of the glory of God. And like I said, glory is often connected to the holiness of God. We are absolutely, we absolutely fall short of that. And you mentioned Moses, think about uh, on Mount Sinai, when they first got to Mount Sinai and they heard the 10 commandments uh, being, um, being voiced out by God. That's in Exodus chapter 20. And God told everyone ahead of time, don't come near the mountain. You know, when I, when I say these things and what happens after he, after he recites the 10 commandments in 
thunder and fire and lightning on those mountains, the people respond in fear. They even told Moses, Moses, you speak to us um, or else, uh, you know, you speak to us, do not let God speak to us or, or else we die. You know, that, that was their first kind of experience with the holiness of God. And even when Moses went up that mountain, he was the only one that was allowed to go up there. At one, one point, they allowed 70 elders to come up. And I think that's in Exodus chapter, I want to say around 24. They, were, they allowed 70 elders to come up, but only like halfway. And then Moses himself went up to the very top. And as you mentioned, he would come down and he would have the glory of God shining off his face. And how would the people respond? They were frightened. They were terrified. Yeah. So he had to put that veil there, which is, I think, not an accidental symbolic gesture of what would happen with the tabernacle and the temple in which there'd be a veil that separates people from the glory of God. Because you think about there's the tabernacle or temple, you go inside there, then there's the holy place in which only the priests were allowed. And then you have the holiest of holies where only one person once a year. And so there was a very definite um, sense of holiness that separates man from God. And when they went into the temple or tabernacle, they, they had to have sacrifices they had to follow standard procedure. They had to make, make sure that they were clean. Clean and unclean did not necessarily mean sinful or, or, or non-sinful, right? I mean, even a woman who is yeah. menstruating, right, or, or just gave birth is considered unclean, and she had to be outside for a period of time. Even people that had, like, for instance, skin conditions, they were just born yeah. with it. I mean, I've got, I've got a form of eczema, and in the Old Testament, it says if you have eczema, you're not even allowed in. So there's all these rules and regulations that go to show us over and over and over again that there is a huge separation between us and God. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, and you see this all throughout uh, both the Old Testament and the New Testament in various ways. Jesus makes several comments where he distinguishes himself, sets himself apart from those around him. Um, I, I mean, I think of it so in, in, in Mark. Uh, when he's confronting, you know, the, the demons, they make the statement, they say, what business do we have with each other, Jesus of Nazareth? And I mean, that's an important statement. Um, and they go on to say, uh, you, you know, have you come to destroy us or cast us out? Um, but but they make the comment because you are the whole they they, they recognize the and say you are the holy yeah. one of God. Right. right. And 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 that. You know, these are demons who instantly recognize that there is a separation um, between what and who they are and who Jesus is. And they make that statement, right? Um, it, you think about, you've talked about the temple and just the very careful uh, and intentional steps that had to be taken because God is holy. I mean, we think about um, Uzzah, right? Who, I, you know, that's an interesting case that I think just displays the grandeur and holiness of God as well. I think it's very easy for us to look at that. And so uh, for listeners who may not be familiar with the story, they're bringing back the Ark of the Covenant um, and they're carrying it on an ox cart, which they're supposed to be carrying it using the poles. And so they, they, they were doing it wrong to start with. And along the way, the oxen stumbles, um, Uzzah reaches out to steady to keep it from falling into the mud, and he's struck down dead, Right. Um, it could be very easy for us to look at that and think, man, that, that was a bit harsh. I mean, one, that would be judging God to, to say that, to go to that place. But the reality is um, these were priests who were brought up knowing exactly what to do. They, they ignored how to transport this to start with. They ignored what God had set up and told them to do. You know, he made assumptions that the dirt 
was more unclean than than his hands touching. God never said the dirt couldn't touch it. He said, right. you're not allowed to touch it. And, and so we see these displays of, um, you know, God's grandeur and his glory and, and, and they bring out and point to the fact that he is holy. And that means something. Um, think of go to the New Testament. Uh, and I think of Ananias and Sapphira. Right. I, I mean, you know, so for folks that have this kind of idea that the God of the Old Testament is different, well, God's immutable. He doesn't change. So he's the same God in the Old Testament as in the New Testament. But here is in the New Testament after Pentecost. And these guys just come and they lie to the apostle about the amount of money they got for land. And they were struck down dead because they lie to the Holy Spirit. Right. I mean, this is a, a display of how we should approach God. Um, yes, he is our loving father, but he is also the holy God of the universe, and we don't approach him carelessly. Yeah, and I think this is the aspect of God that most should, um, we should respond to with fear and trembling, right? When we talk about yeah. we need to be in awe of God, we need to revere him. It starts with his holiness. And now let's go ahead and define what holiness is. I mean, holiness, literally, it's to be set apart. I yeah. mean, he is set apart from all of creation, everything that he has created. Um, because he is morally perfect, he is righteous in every single way, and really when we talk about holiness as it's applied to us, when God says, you shall be holy, for I am holy, he is speaking both in terms of being set apart, but being set apart by the fact that you are going to follow righteous laws just as your God is, is righteous. So the fact that God himself is righteous has an impact upon us uh, being righteous as well, that there is an expectation. It's kind of like what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, I implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling by which you have been called. Yeah. So holiness is talking about his moral perfection, that he always does what is right and that he is set apart in that way. But the other example I think of is um, Nadab and Abihu, right? The sons mm -hmm. of Aaron. When you go back to the book of Leviticus, and in fact, I'm looking at Leviticus chapters 8 and 9 leading up to 10. 10 is where they were struck down. But, you know, one of the things that we often teach um, people when they're studying the Bible, you want to look for phrases that repeat, right? You want to look for words or phrases that repeat because there is special emphasis. There's a purpose there that happens when things are repeated. And in Leviticus chapters 8 and 9, they talk about all the preparation that's going on with the priests and the tabernacle um, before the sons of um, Aaron would, would go up and kind of do this consecration ceremony in chapter 10. But in Leviticus chapter 8, and I won't read through all the verses, just note that there is a phrase that shows up over and over again. In verse 9, it says, he also placed the turban on his head, and on the turban at its front, he placed the golden plate, the holy crown, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. And then verse 13, next Moses and Aaron's son came near and clothed them with tunics and girded them with sashes and bound caps on them, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. And verse 17 um, the bull and its hide and its flesh and its refuse, he burned in the fire outside the camp, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Verse 21 ends the same way, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. So you get the, you get the idea, and he repeats this many other times through the next couple of chapters. And then when you get to chapter 10, what happens? Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took their respective firepans, and after putting fire in them, placed incense on it and offered strange fire before the Lord. Strange meaning foreign, uncalled for. It's, it's foreign to what was going on. It's, it certainly was not prescribed by God. So they offered strange fire before the Lord. 
which he had not commanded them. So we see even in that last part, he had not commanded them. Everything that they'd been doing up to this point was exactly as the Lord had commanded. They did something that was not commanded. And when you think, what is the reason why they would do this? Well, it's somehow to draw attention to themselves, somehow maybe thinking they could add to the, the glory and splendor of God with their own kinds of ideas. Verse two, the fire came out uh, from the presence of the Lord, consumed them, and they died before the Lord. And then here's the explanation from Moses to Aaron. Moses said to Aaron, it is what the Lord spoke, saying, by those who come near me, I will be treated as holy. And before all the people, I will be honored. To be holy and to be honored means we do exactly what he tells us. Um, so he is separate, uh, but he also has authority. And when he gives us instructions, we don't just deviate from them. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't fail. We don't, you know, we place stumbling blocks before ourselves. We, we may stumble in various ways, make mistakes and whatnot. But this, what Nadab and Abihu, wasn't simply just a careless mistake. This was an intentional action on their part to bring something that the Lord had not prescribed. And the Lord's holiness was, was violated here. Yeah, I mean, I, it's a scary thought, uh, and it, it ought to be frightening to us uh, in the sense that it causes, you know, a reverence and, and an understanding of this is God we're dealing with. I mean, we're talking about God who existed before anything else existed, right? He's the Alpha and the Omega. He created all of mankind. You know, he created all of the stars, and, and then he named them all. Right. And and there's something like billions of stars in our galaxy. And then there are lots of other galaxies and they estimate that there are billions of stars in each of those galaxies. And God has all of them by name. You know, this is the God who has every hair on her head numbered. This is the God who not a sparrow falls other than that it's ordained by him. Um, it, you know, you read through the book of Job and I mean, it. You know, in the middle of Job, uh, maybe 38, 39, somewhere around there, you get God uh, engaging and speaking to Job. And he's saying things like, where were you uh, when I commanded the oceans to go this far and no, no further? You know, um, where were you, where where were you when I, you know, provided food for the eagles? He just goes through all these things. Right. Uh, and the point he's making is that I am not like man. I'm God. Um, and at the end of all of that, right, Joe puts his hand over his mouth and he's silent because he realizes he's been confronted with the reality that God is a holy God, a sovereign God. Um, you know, Moses at the burning bush, um, it, you know, we tend, tend to skip over the little detail of him having to take his sandals off, but it's a big deal. He made the point that you are stepping onto a different ground and the ground was absolutely nothing. It was God's presence there, right? Um, God absent God's presence on that mountain, that part of the dirt would was no different than 10 feet before him. Um, but, but it was God's presence there that brought that out. And so, you know, part of a lot of issues that we see in our, in our church today um, comes from, I think, a, a lack of reverence for who God is. We just don't treat God as he's holy. We don't view him as his holy. And I think in God's graciousness and his kindness, where he hasn't struck many of us down, of which I would be one, like Ananias and Sapphira, uh, because he doesn't do that as a normal way of responding to us, we tend to uh, 
take advantage of that. We tend to presume upon his grace, which is not something we should do. Yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, you made a, a great, you, you made several great points there. Um, but uh, yeah, his, the, the holiness of God is meant to draw reverence from us to him. And that didn't go away. You, you made a point about Jesus Christ, how many people treat Jesus Christ like, you know, he's, he's our buddy. Um, but Jesus Christ is a lot more than just that. Yes, Jesus did say that he is our friend and we can regard him as such. But what you see also is that the disciples worshipped him when they recognized who he was. You know, you think about the three wise men that came to Jesus from the east while he was still young. What did they do? They came to worship him. And when you get to the end of the book of Matthew, when Jesus says that all authority has been given to me, just before that, he had appeared to the disciples and the disciples bowed down and worshiped him. So despite the fact that Jesus says he is now our friend, it just still doesn't change the fact that he is God, that he has all authority. He is um, the glory of God. That was the whole idea of the transfiguration account, that the glory of God shined forth on his face and the disciples rightly responded in fear. So we see that holiness in Jesus Christ himself. And when we come together to worship, we not only have God the Father who's holy and Jesus Christ who is holy, but we have the Holy Spirit. We are the temple of God. With the, we are the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. It says that at the end of Ephesians chapter 2, the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit within us. And that gets lost. And I think one of the reasons why this does not get emphasized the way it should is because we tend to be more self-centered. We want to make our worship services more about our own felt needs, what we want to do, the experience that we want to experience in the presence of people. Um, but that's not, that's not what's at stake here. Um, what's at stake here is that we want to come together and offer up the worship that God himself deserves, and we want to do so in a way that no one else can because we are part of the dwelling of God. We have the Holy Spirit, and we are called to give him that worship. Yeah, I often wonder if we... If we were to transport ourselves in the Old Testament, I don't think many of us would make it um, in terms of how we approach would approach the temple if we do that in the same manner that we do today. But, I mean, this is an important topic because this is partly why, um, you know, we as, as pastors and as church leaders respond the way we do when governments tell us things like you can't sing in church, you can't meet, you can't. Well, not, I, I'm sorry. We serve a holy God, and this is what He has commanded the church to do. Um, and you know, this is the God of the universe, and I'm 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 going to follow what He says. I mean, we have an obligation to do that, and there is a right fear of God uh, that compels us to do these things. Um, right. And I'm not talking about terror, right? We understand when we say the fear of God, we don't mean terror like what you get if you watch a horror movie or something like that. This is this is the kind of reverential thing where, um, you know, I, I was going to use an example, but although now I don't know if it's true anymore, it's going to in Tom's past, uh, no matter what political party you were a part of, if you were going to meet the president of the United States in person, uh, you would wear your best clothes. You would be on your best behavior. You would. Right honor and respect that position. I'm not sure that's true anymore these days, but, and, and so that's like you say, you know, although we're a friend of God, as it were, uh, he's still, his, his position as the sovereign demands a, a different posture. Um, Amen. and, Amen. and if we understand that we approach that 
you know, when we gather together on Sundays to worship God, this is the God we're worshiping. You know, we're not worshiping a trifling God who just needs our love and affection. He doesn't need anything from us. Right. You know, we're worshiping the God of the universe who created everything, who holds everything in the balance of his hands. Um, go for it, brother. You're going to. Yeah, we, we have a blessed opportunity that no one else has as believers in, in Jesus Christ and in God. We have the opportunity to actually worship. And it's like what mm -hmm. David said, a day in your courts is better than a thousand outside. Mm -hmm. And you had brought up some earlier examples about how, you know, the burning bush incident, Moses was told to take off his sandals because he's on holy ground. And you're right. There's nothing mystical about that sand. What makes it mystical is that the presence of God is there at that moment. And it's the same thing with church. The building by itself is just a building. That's all it is. And I actually just told this to my church, and I think it was this past Sunday. I said, what makes this holy is when we congregate together mm. to worship God. That's when this place becomes holy because we are in the presence of God. And it's the same thing when Joshua met the commander of the Lord's army. I mean, I love that. He goes into Jericho. He sees his commander from a distance. He goes up to the commander and he says, are you for us or against us? And the commander basically says, wrong question, Joshua. I'm the commander. And what does Joshua do? He basically is like John the Apostle, and he falls flat on his face and worships him immediately, and the commander never tells him not to do that. Mm -hmm. um, so the holiness in the Old Testament, as we see, is exhibited exactly just by the presence of God. But something else also, God says often in the Old Testament that I swear by my name. Mm. And there are times where he talks about his holy name, and we know that even name, just think about God's name. Yeah. God's name is not merely mm. just a label. God's name is who he is. It's his attributes. It's what makes him who he is. It's kind of like when Moses said, show me your glory. And then um, God took him up on the rock, put him in the cleft of the rock, and he passed by in front of him. And he starts off with compassionate and gracious, some abounding and loving kindness, right? And, and that was, and, and just that vision and, and those words caused Moses to fall to the ground and bow down in worship as well. But in Psalm 89, Psalm 89, verse 35 God says, once I have sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David. That's in reference to the promise made to David. But God says he swears by his holiness. When he says he swears by his name, I don't think that's any different than swearing by his holiness. It is the highest standard by which God can give a promise. And of all the attributes of God, none of the attributes when they are mentioned are after, ever repeated in threefold the way yeah. holiness is. Right, It's like the vision of Isaiah when he sees that vision of God and he sees the cherubim. And by the way, the cherubim are covering their eyes because I think they too cannot take the full glory of God. And, and what do they say? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. It's repeated again in Revelation. And there is no other attribute of God that you see repeated three times the way holiness is repeated. And there is no other attribute by which God makes promises and, and makes these statements where he says, I swear by my holy name. So yeah. the holiness of God is not only reflected in God's presence when we are in the presence of God, but it's even reflected in his promises. So the fact that he is faithful to his promises ties back to his holiness. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think, you know, the more we grasp this and we understand we're never going to be able to fully grasp God's holiness here, but I think we can understand it more than we do. And, and the more we understand it does a lot for our maturity, for our walk, for how we respond to, you know, brothers and sisters in the body of Christ, how we approach Sunday mornings, 
you know, when when we're singing songs of praise and worship, are we doing that flippantly because we just like the music because it's a mini concert, you know, or are we doing it because our affections are towards this holy God that we're describing? And I wonder if 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 we can really imagine angels flying around the throne of God every moment, every second of the day, I mean, day in, day out for all of eternity. And I, and I don't think we can. And I think we, we don't imagine that well because we don't really comprehend God's holiness. We can't really fathom the, the majesty of God that deserves that. Right. Um, and yeah. I, I don't know who said it, but there've been a couple preachers down throughout the years who've made statements like, you know, if you, if you don't love worshiping the holiness of God here, you're going to hate heaven because that's what we're going to do. But it changes the way we approach how we sit under the preaching and teaching of the word. You know, are, do you feel like you're suffering through the sermon or are you eager because the reality is the word that's being preached is from the very mouth of God? Um, you know, given to you through a broken vessel, sure, absolutely. But nonetheless, the word of this holy God. Um, and so we do, we approach those things eagerly wanting and waiting on that word for God and expecting it to renew our minds and change us because that that's who, you know, that's the God that we're coming to sit under his, his word, his teaching, we're coming to worship. Yeah, it is it is a corrective for a lot of the mistakes that are being made today by many churches in this nation, probably around the world, that we go in with a kind of a seeker, sometimes there's a seeker-sensitive approach to a lot of these churches where they're trying to appeal to non-believers, they're trying to add elements of entertainment, sometimes secular music, um, there, there's all kinds of elements that are being brought into the worship service, which totally goes against this whole idea of worship. And I think about when Jesus went to go see the Samaritan woman, he said that God is seeking true worshipers. He, he is seeking worshipers who will worship him in spirit and in truth. And when we recognize the holiness of God, we see the truth of the holiness of God, then we can truly worship him for who he is and recognize we call it a worship service for a reason because it is about worship. So when we understand the holiness of God, it corrects a lot of the seeker-sensitive, kind of me-first, uh, emotions-driven, feelings-driven kind of phenomena, instead places our eyes upon God and realize and helps us to realize that we have an opportunity that no one else has without the grace of God in their life, without the salvation given to them by the Lord Jesus Christ, without the gift of the Holy Spirit, we are able to worship Him. And in the future, you know, of course, we all know the a lot of us have memorized Romans 8, 28 to 30, when God talks about how God causes all things to come together for good. But we see that truth that those whom he foreknew, he also predestined, that he predestined, he called, he called, justified, he justified, glorified. That final step of glorification is the idea that we can be in the holy presence of God and we can be completely clean ourselves. We can be completely holy ourselves um, because without that, we can't actually be in his presence. And we're going to experience this glory in a, in a level that we've never been able to experience before. So we have to have this mindset of we have a blessed opportunity to actually come into the household of God and worship him and, and let that holiness be really the, the how we identify God and what motivates and drives our worship towards him rather than thinking about ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, I want to read that verse again that you mentioned earlier from 1 Corinthians 6. 
it, I think it's 19 and 20. It says, or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God, that you are not your own? I think we forget we do not belong to ourselves. And in a world where we constantly hear things about slavery and um, freedom and individual rights, well, you don't have any individual rights as a Christian. You, you don't have absolute freedom as a Christian. What I mean is that we have been purchased, just as this verse says, right? For you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. And so I maybe a good question, maybe we can make wristbands. What would priests do or something? I don't know. Just imagine if you were an Old Testament priest about to walk into the Holy of Holies, would you know, would you be thinking of how you can uh, start the fog machine or, right. you know, maybe right. maybe some of us would think twice before we play music in church that shouldn't be in church. Right. And I, I don't mean with crass language or anything. I just mean music that's man-centered, self-centered, feel right. good. Um, you know, yeah. What would it be? WWPD. What, what would priests do? I don't know. But it's, it's that mentality because God hasn't changed. He hasn't diminished in holiness between the Old Testament and the New Testament. He's still the same holy God. He still expects that. I mean, that's why it's repeated in the New Testament. First Peter, right? You shall be holy for I am holy. Um, Absolutely. And, and that, that you know, should be something maybe, that we seek after. Go ahead, brother. Exactly. And maybe, maybe that's what we should um, address right now. And, and by the way, another verse, um, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 21, mm. Paul also writes, uh, in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the spirit. So he also repeats that same truth that you just read from 1 Corinthians. He says it at the end of Ephesians chapter 2. But that's another point, and maybe this is another reason why we want to, why maybe in our flesh, we tend to want to ignore the holiness of God. It's not only the worship, the God-centered worship that he is worthy of, but to your point, what Peter said, God said, you are to be holy for I am holy. So what does that mean for us? Because it doesn't mean that uh, we are um, separated in the way that God is separated. Um, it doesn't mean that we are morally perfect because we know that we're not, even though um, God made us perfect by the sacrifice of Christ. He took on um, our sins and he gave us the righteousness of God. But even today, until the time that we are called into God's presence, we still continue to struggle with sin. Yeah. So I guess my question to you, if someone was to ask, what is the implication for us today when Peter quotes Leviticus and says, you are to be holy for I am holy? What is your answer to that? Yeah, I, I give two parts of that answer because I like to deal with the heart issue first. It should be the heart motivation that characterizes every believer that says, my desire is to be perfect like God, although I know I can't get there. But that's my heart motivation. That, that means we do things like repent when we fall short. But then it also means we understand that God is gracious, and when we repent, He's good to forgive. We, we get picked up, and we move forward. That's the sanctification process, right? But that's our heart is to pursue that. And, you know, then the other thing that I, I would tell people is that we are also holy and meant to be separate, as in holy and separate from the world around us. We should reflect those attributes of God that we can reflect. And in that way, we are holy, right? Um, we're, we should look and be separate from the world. When, when the godless come into the church, 
right? And this is where I think that practically they see holiness. They should see something that they can't see anywhere else, right? They should see a group of people who are taking worship to God, serious, who sit under the preaching, teaching the world, and whether they approve or not, they should be forced to recognize that this is a different type of people. They are different from us. They are set apart. So that, that's kind of how I answer a question. What about you, brother? Yeah, I think that's a very good explanation. And for unbelievers, and recognize this, when you identify yourself as a Christian, even the unbeliever has already started to hold you to a higher standard. They won't tell you that directly, but they're watching your behavior to see if you actually live up to your claim. Because if you do some of the same things that you do, if, if, if they do, if you curse, you know, if, if you watch things online that you shouldn't be watching, engage in activities that you shouldn't be engaging, the first thing that they're going to think is, wait a second, you said you're a Christian and you do the things that I do. So they're going to spot that right away. And even when I was in corporate America, prior to taking on the pastor position here in Brawley, when I was in corporate America, I never told anyone that they had to speak any differently when they were around me. But after a period of time, I noticed that when I was in kind of these impromptu meetings in people's offices and someone would say a curse word, a lot of times they would look immediately at me and then they would apologize, which was interesting because I had never told anyone not to say those things around me. I'd never rebuked anyone or anything like that. But they know because I'm a not, not just a Christian, but I'm in seminary training, but they also know from my conduct that I don't do those things. Yeah. So that already reflects the fact that they hold me to a higher standard. So people are going to hold you to a higher standard. And when you fail to meet that standard, then your testimony fails to have any validity. But I think going back to 1 Peter chapter 1, we were just talking about this. Verse 14 says, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. But like the Holy One who called you, you shall you be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. So be holy in all your behavior, because it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. So the idea is conforming. Well, what are you conforming to? Are you conforming to your former walk of life, or are you conforming now to who you are? And I'm also going to take a look at Romans chapter 12, well-known verse. Paul says, therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. So you're to be a living and holy sacrifice. What does that mean? Verse two, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So the idea is that instead of conforming to the world, instead of conforming to your former lust, you're to be transformed. And to be transformed cannot be separated from the renewal of your mind. And how does the mind get renewed? The mind gets renewed by the word of God. And just one more, Ephesians Chapter 4, verse 20, Paul says to the Ephesians, you did not learn Christ in this way. He had just gotten through talking about how they are not to walk as Gentiles, and he says you did not learn Christ in this way, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind. There's that word again, renewed. Renewed is tied to conforming, conforming or transforming. And that is tied to what it means for us to be holy, that we become more like Christ. We start to become more godlike in our behavior. It doesn't mean we announce that we're godly or that, you know, we're holy or anything else, but that it should reflect in how we conduct ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and there's so many other passages too, we won't hit on all of them, but I think Colossians 3.12, you know, so it says, so as those who have been chosen of God, and then what? 
holy and beloved. Um, and, and so again and again, over and over, we should reflect that. Um, and we should desire that. And, and I, you know, the reality is if the world can look at us, if the world can look at me and say, you're one of us, then I am not living up to first Peter. I'm, I'm clearly not pursuing the right things of God. If we're just candid about it in today's age, it should be very easy to distinguish a Christian from a non-Christian. There should be no questions asked. Uh, our culture has gone so far into wickedness that it should be easy to tell if someone is a Christian just by the mere fact. I, I mean, I love that example at your workplace, just by not using the, exam, the, the the language that they use. And I'm sure your demeanor and things like that played a part of that. But it should instantly, whether they hate us or not, uh, force the world to say, yeah, he, he's not one of us. Uh, and if that's not happening, then I think it's cause for legitimate inspection, right? To sit back and contemplate, are we really pursuing the things of God? Are we really seeking to be obedient to scripture, to, to follow the teachings of Christ? You know, I mean, Jesus said, you love me if you obey my commandments. And so if we're doing that, then certainly we're going to look different, not perfect, but different. And, and I would just say, you know, just to combat the legalistic side, because it, it exists, right? You, there's a whole branch of, of guys who, you know, would, would preach very legalistically in that you have to do this. Um, in, in the very real sense, legalism, meaning you have to do this to keep or earn your salvation. But I think there's a subcategory of that that's just very harsh, right? Um, that doesn't leave room for you know, the, the mistakes and repentance thereafter. We get that. Um, we're, we're going to mess up. I like the example of Paul Washer that Paul Washer uses, and I, I can't repeat it verbatim, but I'll, I'll try here. He talks about a, a, a guy who yells and screams at his wife before he goes to work before and after salvation. And basically uh, the, the point is, and it's a great demonstration of, of pursuing holiness uh, before the guy's salvation he screams, yells at his wife. He leaves uh, to go to work. He doesn't feel bad about it. He has no problem with it. It's fine. After the guy comes to salvation, then he falls back into the trap at one stage. He yells at his wife. He goes, gets in his car, leaves for work, and then immediately he's crushed, right? He has that burden um, of, of his sin. He repents of it. You know, and when he gets home, he reconciles with his wife and and he does those things that he never even thought to do before. That is is becoming holy, right? That's being holy as God is holy. And so we leave room certainly for growth, uh, lest anyone misunderstand us and think we're preaching perfection, although we've made that clear, I think. Yeah, the the progression in which we become more and more like Christ um, happens throughout our Christian lives. And it's never completed. There's never a point where we say, okay, we've, we've arrived. We've, we've never arrived. I mean, even Paul says he hasn't arrived. So we never arrive. And we know that that perfection doesn't happen until ultimately we're resurrected in glorified bodies. So it's going to be ultimately God who makes us perfect. Mm -hmm. And even in this life, as we progressively um, walk more and more like Christ, that too is the work of God working within us. We are given the Holy Spirit. So to talk about holy, we are given the Holy Spirit. And when we think about the promise of the ministry of the Holy Spirit, going back to Ezekiel 36, when Ezekiel said that he is, God is going to replace your heart of stone with a heart of flesh, and he's going to pour his spirit out upon you. Jeremiah talks about how God's going to write his law upon your heart. 
Uh, Moses talked about how God is going to circumcise your heart. All of this is talking about the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is given to us, and the Holy Spirit provides us with a freedom to obey God. Now, you had mentioned before, we are not free, and indeed, we are not free in the sense that we can just simply do whatever we want and think that it's okay with God. But we are given a freedom to obey God that we had not been given before. We still fail, but when we do obey, it's not simply because we did the work ourselves, but it's because of the enabling power of the Holy Spirit given to us. But it's also for us to obey the commands of Scripture. I mean, I think of um, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. This is a popular verse for people who are defending God's election. It says, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, but they miss out sometimes on the rest of it, that it says that we would be holy and blameless before him. And the idea that we're going to be holy and blameless, we know that is only because of the work of Jesus Christ. But then Paul does not leave us off the hook because again, in chapter four, verse one, he says, walk in a manner worthy of the calling by which you have been called. And even chapter two, he talks about the way we formerly walked. But then after verses eight and nine, where he talks about by grace, you have been saved. Verse 10 goes on to say that we are to walk in the works and the good works created beforehand um, by God. And beforehand, meaning before the foundation of the world, God had created these good works that we would walk in. And these are the works that are supposed to be able to show God's holiness in us. You know, Christianity is not, it's not Burger King. You don't get it your way. We do it God's way, right? Um, and and being holy is not only who God is, but it's who we're called to be because God is holy. And so let, let's end on this question, brother. So someone, maybe someone's listening. I, I've been in this place, you know, as a new believer. Um, you, you've been in this place too. So they come to you and they say, well, you know, Eki, I've heard what you guys have said, or maybe there's someone in our church and they say, I just, I, I don't, I don't think that I've really cared about holiness myself. And I don't think that um, I've really viewed God as holy. So what can I do from here on out? What, what, are, what are the steps that I can take to pursue holy, holiness myself and to revere God in a right manner? Well, I think it starts first with just a right study of Scripture. we got to apply ourselves to the Word of God and the idea of applying ourselves to the Word of God We often are too quick to draw application points out of what we read. And sometimes we don't even consider the fact that the major application point of reading scripture is to know God. We go to the scriptures to know God. And the more we know God, the more we know his attributes, his characteristics, the way he has operated um, through the history of redemption from the beginning and even to the end, uh, which we are still awaiting The more we read about that, the more we develop an awesome reverence for who God is. And so we we don't ever want to be legalistic and saying, well, this is how you show reverence. You do this, this, and this, and this. No, the way you show reverence is by bringing that person to God and encouraging them to read more about God and to learn more about God and to read with an awareness of God's holiness. But let me say this also, because often people will kind of shirk back at the idea of holiness, because it's almost like the idea of this wrathful God, right? So they think of holiness, and they'll connect it to wrath and this and that. But let me just for a moment go to Ezekiel 36. And I think most Christians often overlook this. And it was actually Mike Riccardi um, at Grace Community Church Mm -hmm. who pointed this out to me. He was uh, one of my preaching professors at one point. And when we were looking at Ezekiel 36, he actually made this point. I thought it was a great point. 
Ezekiel chapter 36. We're thinking about the prophet Ezekiel. He's in Babylon. They've already been exiled. So you know that the that the prophecies of Ezekiel are looking forward to a future restoration, but he's also rebuking the Israelites uh, for their sin. And in chapter 36, he's talking about all the ways that Israel has profaned the holy name of God. That's repeated over and over again, that the nation of Israel had profaned. And in, in fact, what that means is that they have not treated God's name as holy, even though it is holy. But in verse 21, he says this, this is from the word of the Lord said, but I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations where they went. And then he goes on to say that he is going to vindicate. Verse 23 says, I will vindicate the holiness of my great name. He says, I will prove myself holy. He says that later in verse 23. And what does he go on to say? A few verses later, he says, then I will give you a new heart, a new spirit. Um, I will replace your heart of stone with a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. And this is what I'm getting at. The holiness of God is the reason why we have salvation. Because Israel did nothing to merit these saving works of God. In fact, when you understand the Old Testament, no matter what God did externally for them, they mm -hmm. just continued to turn over to idolatry and to wickedness and rebelled against him. I think Paul had the entire Old Testament in mind when he said that no one does good, no one seeks after God, no, not one. Right. So here in Ezekiel, Ezekiel shows that Israel has done nothing but profane the holy name of God. And the reason why God acts is not because we get better. It's not because we mm -hmm. suddenly start to seek after him. It's because God had concern for his holy name. Yeah. And because of his concern for his holy name and because of the covenant promises that he has made, he will out of his holiness, but also his love, grace, and mercy, he will send his son into the world to die for us and to give us a new heart and to provide us the salvation that we never deserve. So this is another way of looking at holiness, that the reason why God chose to save us is not because we were lovable, but it was because of the holiness of his great name. Yeah. Amen. I'll just add in there, because I'm sure it was in your mind, if you find yourself asking those questions make sure that you're plugged into a local church and you're faithful there because that's where we get our mind renewed in part, right? Um, sitting under the preaching and teaching of the word. Let's throw out a couple resources. John MacArthur has a, a great uh, study guide, Fundamentals of the Faith. I think it's 13 lessons and a section of that. It One, it's just really good to go through, but there's a big section of that on the attributes of God. I think of one that really affected me was probably A.W. Pink's Sovereignty of God. You yes. cannot read that book without getting to the end and thinking, my goodness, God is so much bigger than I could ever have fathomed. Um, what, what about you, brother? There's some particular resources. Yeah. Tozer, uh, um, Tozer on the attributes of God is, um, is a great resource. That's one place to go to. Stephen Charnock is, um, if you really want to go deep in, into those attributes, um, that's a great place uh, to go as well. Um, I think Sproul had, had written something and, and Packer is coming to mind, but the, the titles are escaping me. Yeah. I think um, Sproul's yeah, got a set. Yeah, yeah. So there's there's some place great places to go, and and it could be the holiness of God, or even just studying the glory of God, because it's yeah. intertwined with uh, with God's holiness. Yeah, and I would say if you get those resources, great. But let Scripture be your primary resource, right? Amen. Books books are good, but I, I I know reform guys have the tendency sometimes to like going to other books and leave the scriptures behind. So uh, Scripture is our primary source, but. 
yeah, if you do a character study of God, you'll walk away with a far greater sense of the majesty, not not just God's moral, ethical holiness, but his majestic holiness. So uh, with that, guys, thank you for joining us today. Uh, we hope that you were edified. By the way, we do have an email address. Uh, we'd love to hear your comments, your questions. You can send those to truthbeknownpodcast at gmail.com. You can do that generically, or if you have a question specifically for Eki or myself, you can uh, just put that in the subject, and uh, we'll take a look at that. Till next time, let the truth be known. The Truth Be Known podcast is a theologically driven, gospel-centered program serving the body of Christ by bringing biblical truth to bear on issues facing the church today. Subscribe to the Truth Be Known podcast by using the podcast app on your Apple or Android device or listen online at strivingforeternity.org in the podcast section.